0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Just got back. Today is Monday. This is going to be an episode for Wednesday. And so I'm calling it Five Listener Questions. It's probably more than that, but it's some thoughts that came up at the funeral that I attended for Bill Huggins. And some of the interactions I had with some of the people about the podcast, about the industry, about the hobby, about the good old days. But I get home and I find out another one of my friends has passed away. This guy's slightly older than me, but that's another funeral. And I missed Mark Anderson's memorial because I was on the plane going to the other one. And also the day I get there up in Baltimore, it's just a few minutes from where Denny Eckes lived. And he passed away 32 years ago, exactly that day. So really thinking about mortality but there's a lot of good to report in the industry. Jeremy Lee had his three year anniversary. I wasn't able to dial in and congratulate him, but there's a lot of good content out there. And I'm not the only one talking about these departures, but when somebody has been in the hobby a long time and is worthy of honor, I really want to do that. So thanks sponsors, Top Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Really glad I went up to the memorial service for Bill Huggins, saw a lot of hobby notables there. And a lot of people I didn't know, a lot of people from around the area. The service was very well attended. Lots of great thoughts and remembrances of Billy live life to the full. And uh, during the time, there was a lot of uh, mixing and interacting and I spent a fair amount of time with the, with the family. C- condolences again. He just was an amazing guy. So I get up there Saturday night. And uh, there were some people that had come in from out of town and we're going to have dinner at a place. They told me where well, I I'll just jump off the plane and get there as quick as I can. So I get there and I'm looking around in this big restaurant to try to find out where the party is. I don't know what size is. And all of a sudden in the corner, I see some lime green. Most of you know that is Dick DeCourcy's trademark color. And it points out that maybe all of us should have a trademark color because I was easily able to find the, uh, the party. And go sit down and longtime friends with Dick and his wife, Greta. And they were very close with Bill Huggins too. Sat with them, had a nice dinner with some great reminiscences about Bill. So that was cool. So I get to the service the next day, the next afternoon, it was about a four hour thing, but I'll see some people that I really enjoyed reconnecting with. John Brogy was there who runs the national for one more year. And it sounds like he's going to go out in a blaze of glory, going to be bigger and better this year. But also Joe Drelick was there that I spent some time with who's the new national guy along with his amigos they've got the three promoters who've come together to take over the national going forward in 2024 and so we talked a little bit we talked about podcasts I want to get him on and he was talking about the other podcasts that he might want to be on and I said don't restrict it joe there's some overlap between the podcasts and the content creation but not as much as you would think and if somebody wants to have you on, if you don't have to fly anywhere, if just Zoom, I would encourage him to say, yes, I certainly want to have him on mine, and we'll work that out. But I think he could be on many. He really needs to get the word out there. He's got some great ideas for taking the National and putting their unique stamp from their experience as well. Bumped into Jimmy Spence, again, longtime friend. He actually was one of the guys was there back in Kapalua when Bill Huggins had his heart scare back when I was playing golf with him that time that I talked about. So he goes way back. And again, Jimmy Spence, Kevin Savage is there. Both those guys dropped what they were doing, woke up really early Sunday morning and drove multi-state driving for sure, five or six hours of driving to get there for this memorial service and be there and turn around and drive four, five, six hours back. Again, got a good catch-up with Kevin Savage, another one of the the hobby good guys. Um, Also, spent some time with Levi Bleem, who was there, and just had to give condolences to him for the loss of Jim Fleck not quite a year ago, who was his uh, longtime time assistant, super knowledgeable, who was always there with Levi at all the big shows. I had interactions with him over the years, but I had more interactions with Levi, but it's just tough to lose somebody that you've worked with, and a good friend, and a great guy. But Levi also talked about, just to have some sports card insights here, I've been hearing on some other podcasts, and I can't remember if it was Mike Moynihan or Jeremy Lee, but there was some discussion discussion. discussion of the Mantle, might have been with Leighton, Sheldon, about the Mantle 52 tops and the two versions and the differences. And I don't think they ever really mentioned, and Levi knows this, Levi and I talked about it, is that Mantle actually was a double print in 52 tops, but so was Jackie Robinson and so was Bobby Thompson. And one of the reasons you could deduce that aside from the pop reports and the stitching of the baseball is that those are the first three cards out of a 97 card high number series. And so you add those additional three double prints and you get to a perfect 100, which is what uh, Tops was doing in terms of sheets there. And I've been hearing about, gee, the mantle. There's two different versions. Which one is tougher? By distribution by production, those variations should be exactly the same. However, I will point out it's very likely that one of the mantles was perhaps on the corner of the sheet, being the first of the high numbers, and so one of the mantles may be lesser condition or be found to be a little bit tougher to find in great shape. However, if centering is in production of cards, if centering is bad on one card, it means it's bad on all the cards of that sheet. So if the mantles are side-by-side side or on the same sheet, if the registration, the cutting is a little bit off, heavy on the left side and short right side, that would be for both of them if they're both on the same sheet. It would be for all of those. And frankly, a lot of 52 Tops have some off-centering. Had a great catch-up with Levi about that. Also spent a fair amount of time with Ron Oser and his son Kyber came in as well. Really outstanding Young man, I think, because he's younger than Ron, who's my contemporary. But Ron is the new president of Huggins and Scott. We go way back. And so he was talking about how things were going to be the same in a good way. Huggins and Scott is a continuing and charter auction sponsor. It's not that they're doing things that others can't do, but they're doing things that others don't want to do. And they do it in an efficient way. So they have a system. They have a process. I also visited with the other uh, cogs in the business. But Ron and I talked about how, I won't say business as usual, but how they're going to continue on and do a great job. They're always going to be one of my favorites, not my only, but certainly one of my favorites. And what they do really fits what I want to do for sure on the buying side. And to some degree, they fit really well on what I want to do on the selling side too. So I encourage you to check out all my sponsors. Another comment I heard at the funeral, as well as got some emails and comments, and there's no replacement for Chandy Greenholt. He was unique, but not just his personality and his knowledge and his business approach. And so you could say, gee, somebody could buy his inventory and then just carry on. That's not it. You've got to be able to replenish your stock. You've got to know what to put in there. And again, he had a lifetime of doing it his way. People always think if somebody's successful, I could just copy that success. There's a lot of factors in that success that Chandy had, including being a great guy that people wanted to do business with. Let's see. Question four, I guess. I've got a comment from Bart McClary about the episode that I did with John Keating on Al-card-ho- Alcoholics Anonymous. is a play on Alcoholics Anonymous, which is not a funny thing, but there are people that are addicted to cards too. So Bart's comment was, in all of his years of collecting, he says he never used money that was budgeted for the family to live off. And he really appreciated the episode. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's one of those episodes that the people who really need to hear it maybe aren't the ones that are listening to it. But pass it on because I think people can get in trouble. But Bart, there's more to the story here. Not just that you don't use money that your family's food budget or your rent or anything like that. I see problems when people, and again, you, you maybe got away with it for a couple of years at the peak of COVID. But if you take your collecting and take money that otherwise would go into the family's savings or the family's investments. You're living dangerously. Again, you would have been rewarded investing, but if there's a downturn or your family needs extra money, can't always easily borrow against the cards. I just don't think that's a savings account. You ought to have traditional savings and traditional investments, and a portion of that could be... So again, not only don't take your family's food money, but don't uh, Don't be fully invested without diversification. And so cards could be one of those diversifications. And fifth question, finally, just pulling one from Skeppy. Skeppy's just an amazing source of questions. And I will have an episode just with Skeppy to go in more depth. But he asks, what's the best way to present innovation ideas to manufacturers? How would I recommend? I think he means how would somebody contact them, not just me or him. I think he has some good reputation in the hobby of being a good thinker. And I've been in the hobby for a long time, but it just, what would you do? What would be the approach that I would take or that I would encourage somebody to take? And in person is best, or if it's not in person and you're not known to the company or where you're trying to submit these things, a warm introduction from somebody they do know that could be by phone, could be email, could be a text, but just something to say, hey, listen to this person. I think they've got some good ideas. Or you just do it a cold call. But if you're at the National, if you're at the Mint, if you're at the Summit, and you have a chance, you've got to get to your point pretty quickly. Not necessarily going to take an hour meeting to find out that you've got a crazy idea that might be a great idea. What I see And actually, I'm doing this because I had some recommendations and some innovation ideas for Beckett Media, for BGS, and for other things that my former company's doing. And I'm not the average guy, but I'm not the decision maker anymore. And so if I have an idea, I've got to work it up the channels, or I probably could give it to the CEO, which I've actually done that too. But I want to work through chain of command as much as possible and make sure it's an idea that is not wasting anybody's time. It's got to be achievable. And really strongly, if you've got an innovation idea that you want to present to a manufacturer, or you actually run it by me if you want. If it sounds good, I certainly would pass it on. But when I look at your one page, which if it's a 20 page PowerPoint or 20 slides, that's pretty excessive. You need to get to the point. And if you have a one page summary of what you're trying to, don't spend more than 10 or 20% defining the problem. Just. Here's the problem that I'm trying to help you solve, Mr. Ms. Manufacturer, and then spend the rest of the paper or rest of your time considering your unique solution to the problem. Here's how I would go about it. Here's the innovation that solves this problem, and it can do it in an economical way. Don't be like when we were trying to get some new plants for our house. They said, you need to talk to a landscaper. And I said, okay, They gave me two names. And the first guy, I said, okay, what do you recommend? He had this great plan. We're going to put some plants over here and over here. And I said, it's great. How much is that going to cost? He said, well, I have no idea how much it's going to cost. I'm just the landscape architect. That was not helpful. (laughs) And so then the second guy said, okay, here's what I would do. I'd put plants over here and here and it'll look great. And this is what we'll do. And here's how much it's going to cost. And here's when I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to do it. And here's the maintenance that's going to be required. That's the way you need to present an innovation idea to manufacturers, not the architect. Hey, here's a problem, and I think you should design something that you need to come up with enough details that not only here's how you would do it, how you would solve the problem, but here's how I think it could be cost effective. The size of the problem. If it's a labor saving thing or a step saving thing, lay it out there, flow chart it enough. So they can see that, hey, this person knows what they are. And they may hire you, they make it with you, any number of things they might do. But uh, the hobby needs to have continuous innovation. I know from my days, some of those innovation ideas come from outside your company. So you need to be open to that. Thanks, everybody. I'll be back again in a couple of days, another episode. Again, condolences, too many funerals. There's new people coming in, but we're losing some great. Old guard guys. So thanks everybody. Be back again soon. Bye. The man in the house